0: Welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Alicia. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine and as women in general.
1: Yes, we are. And we're back. Episode 25. Only five more episodes until the end of the season. That's crazy. That is crazy. The season's flown by. I know. I know. Wild. Yeah. But okay. So for today's episode, we are going to be talking about Ayurvedic medicine, which is a topic I selfishly wanted to learn about because I don't know anything about it. And so I wanted to take this opportunity to learn. So I'm excited to share what I learned with all of you.
0: I'm excited too.
1: I know. So just as like a one sentence background, Ayurveda is originally a practice of medicine from the Indian subcontinent that focuses on improving wellness of the body and mind because the two are connected. And there's a belief that the mind has the power to heal and transform a person's entire being. Oh, yeah. So that's like the general vibe. In addition to this little intro, Shar, what do you already know about Ayurvedic medicine? I don't know a single thing about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. No, not a single thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I saw that face you made and I was like, cute. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything. Okay, well, that's fine. Let's just get started then. Teach and I'll me teach the thing. Teach me all about it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So to start our journey on this Ayurvedic path, we'll start by having a good understanding of what Ayurvedic medicine is. And you know me, I love starting with the name and breaking the name down. Ayurveda is a Sanskrit word where Ayur means life and Veda means science or knowledge. So the word Ayurveda translates to knowledge of life.
0: Ooh, I like
1: that. I know, right? And it's based on the idea that disease is caused by an imbalance or stress in a person's consciousness. And to heal some ailment that you have, you need to practice certain lifestyle habits and natural therapies to regain balance of the body, mind, and spirit. Okay. Yeah, so that's like, generally the gist of this entire practice. Mm-hmm. And I have also included a brief history because I thought this is pretty interesting. But in terms of its history, it said that the Hindu god Brahma created Ayurveda. And now I have a question, Char. Okay. Do you know anything about this god Brahma? I might have told you a story about it before. I don't know if you remember. Can you tell
0: me what he... He or she looks like, or it looks like. So, this is not the one with the third eye. No, okay. I know that. Is it the one with like the
1: dancing? No, no, this is the one. So, I'll just tell you. So, (laughs) it's confusing because there's so many gods, but Brahma is the creator and he's one of three gods Shiva, Brahma, and Vishnu who are
0: the Shiva, the one with the third eye.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Brahma is the creator, Shiva is the destroyer, and Vishnu is the preserver. And together, they're like the holy trinity of Hinduism. Mm, Okay, Yeah. And so just something to say here is that in Hinduism, there's many, many gods, not just one. It's a polytheist religion. And so there's like a crazy number of gods. There's like more than like 2,000 gods or something like that.
0: Oh my god.
1: There's literally a God for everything. But these three are, like I said, the Holy Trinity. And many of the gods, the smaller gods, are reincarnations of one of these three. And so Brahma was supposedly the creator of the universe. And of course... He also created Ayurveda. And then he passed this knowledge to his son, who passed it on to these two twin gods who became the physicians of the gods. I don't know. It's all like very complex, but basically (laughs) a lot of oral tradition, a lot of passing down of knowledge. Um, And eventually it went from gods to sages. And then sages were said to put them down in texts. And okay. so there's like texts of of Ayurvedic medicine. And I have a question that's related, but unrelated. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of the Mahabharata? No. Okay. So it's kind of like the Odyssey or like the Iliad or other Greek tales, but for Indian mythology. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was essentially this epic narrative that tells the story of of one of the reincarnations of Vishnu, the preserver, who was meant to cure humanity of diseases. And it's chronicled in this long story called the Mahabharata. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I remember I used to read graphic novel versions of this story as a kid. There was like so many and there was always a lot of wars. That's kind of cool. There's graphic novels though. Yeah. The graphic novels are lit. Dude, they're lit. I have some at home. I'll show you some time. They are okay, fun. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> they're like all in English. And obviously, I don't know how I would read them if they're not, but they're fun. <laughs> anyway, so over the years, the knowledge of Ayurveda was passed down from teacher to student orally. For thousands of years, and eventually recorded in this holy book called the Vedas, which are essentially sacred scripts. And there are four bodies of the Veda, all written in Sanskrit. Have you ever heard of Sanskrit? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah.
1: Ancient languages. Sanskrit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the one. It's India's <laughs> ancient language. It's like Latin in that it's dead now, like no one speaks it anymore. But they, the Vedas have really super detailed practices of rituals and worship, hymns, mantras, and just general ways to live life. They're all chronicled in these books. And the Vedas are actually the world's oldest form of literature, which I think is super cool. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Like hieroglyphics are the first written i think that's like the first writing but the vedas are like like literature um yeah 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 and so the latest book of the four vedas was compiled in approximately 900 bce that's how far back we're talking and it's basically a collection of india's ancient medical practices Hmm. And then there are other Ayurvedic texts that are notable. uh, But the one besides the Vedas that I've heard about mentioned, I don't know why I know this name, but it's called the (laughs) Sushruta. Oh, actually, now I'm thinking about it. I think I remember I learned about this in the medical history class I took freshman year of college. What a class.
0: Anyway, (laughs) it's called
1: the Sushruta Samhita. And it's a book. That explains the concept and practice of medicine. And it has 184 chapters, presents 1,120 health conditions.
0: Oh my God. 300
1: <laughs> different operations that require 42 surgical procedures, 121 different instruments, and 650 kinds of medicine from animals, plants, and minerals.
0: <laughs> That's kind of sick, actually. Dude, right? It's like really thorough. It's really extensive. I thought that was super cool. That is cool. I like how many medicines there are. Cause as you know, I think that making medicine out of plants would be so awesome. I know. I love that. I want to, I can't even imagine like what, I want to know what plants they use. I'm like, how they
1: created medicine. I know. Imagine if you could just walk outside, you like pick a leaf off a tree, you like eat the leaf, (laughs) crunch it up and make a paste.
0: And you're like, yeah, this cured my, it just blows my mind. Cause now we create medicine and labs com- and it's all like scientific, but before people just like use the earth. And I just think that's super cool. And yeah,
1: Ayurveda as a practice itself is not just one thing. There's lots of different components to it as well. So there are eight branches, which can help determine how to prevent and cure diseases based off of the specific area that the issue is occurring in. So, for example, like, so the eight branches are internal medicine, treatment of children. Okay. So, I like, yeah, peds, <laughs> um, eyes, ears, nose, and throat. So, like, heat. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Surgery. They're onto something. I know. Surgery, toxicology. Psych, which is fun. And then geriatrics and
0: reproductive health. <laughs> nice. These all make so much sense. I know. They really do. They really do. They honestly kind of sound similar to the like what eight rotations that we do. Yeah, honestly. Pretty school. close.
1: Pretty close. But yeah, so there's lots of different components to Ayurveda and different branches. Um, but actually, I wanted to dive a little bit more into the Principles, which is really where the meat of this stuff is, but it's really, really interesting. Get into the meat, right into it. I will. I will. Okay. So (laughs) there are three forces that are fundamental to the concept of Ayurveda they were or are Vata, Pitta, and Kapha. And together, these three concepts are known as dosha and they're thought to circulate through the body and control the body's function so it's like in your body you have katha pitta and pha and the three of those are dosha okay and here's where things get like avatar the last airbender Ooh, i know so vata is connected to the wind it's always mobile and dynamic and said to regulate the nervous system and circulatory system. This is usually said to be dominant in people who are lively, creative, and original thinkers. Pitta is viewed like the sun, as a source of energy, and it regulates the digestive system and, like, gives you energy. Mm -hmm. And so people with this dosha as their dominant one, are considered fiery, intelligent, and fast-paced. And then kapha controls the balance of body tissue fluids, the growth of cells, and body muscle tone. And it's associated with people who are strong and solid in their beliefs and generally calm in nature.
0: Okay, okay.
1: And the idea is that a person's mood and personality is based on a combination of how much of each dosha that person has. So these energies actively change in response to a person's thoughts, actions, the foods that they eat, the seasons of the year, the time of life, like being younger versus middle age versus elderly. Mm-hmm. So if you can identify a person's composition of their internal dosha, you can help them return to balance if they fall out of whack. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So that's the idea is like we have these elements in our body that are in combination and everyone has like a specific combination made for them and it changes based on their time of life or literally what they ate that day but it's still specific to them. And so it's like this very personalized medicine where if you fall out of balance, we like take you back to your baseline.
0: Okay. Yeah, which I think is kind of cool. I was like, "Wow. Fancy." Yeah.
1: So when a person's doshas are out of balance, it's called vikruti. And this can manifest as physiological and behavioral symptoms. So, for example, If someone has a dominant vata dosha, they might have signs of dehydration, low energy, dizziness, anxiety, confusion, and excessive movement or speech. Lots of things going on. (laughs) If they have a pitta dominance and are imbalanced, their symptoms are usually associated with ulcers, inflammation, digestive problems, anger, and heartburn. And then if for our kafa dominant friends, their imbalance manifests as obesity, diabetes, sinus problems, gallbladder problems, and insecurity.
0: <laughs> it was like, I was just thrown in there. I know. I laughed at that one. I was like, that's funny. <laughs> You're like, wait, why am I insecure now?
1: <laughs> I know. So. It's the job of the Ayurvedic practitioner to identify your specific dosha and then heal you based off of your imbalance. Okay, you know, that's yeah. the vibe.
0: But that's the vibe. So, like, if you have one specific dosha that is prominent for you, does that change the like healing methods? Yeah, you know, like if I had one that was different than yours, we would be approached differently. Like medically in practice. Yes, exactly. Okay.
1: And I think I talk about that a little later. So that'll be a fun Ooh, tie cool. back. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we've talked about Ayurveda in general, I of course want to ask or want to talk about what we're here for, which is women.
0: Oh, yes. The women. Oh, the women.
1: <laughs> So in Ayurveda, the woman is considered to be Shakti, who is the mother and source of creation. And in whose lap, all of civilization is cradled, which I just think sounds so beautiful. I was like, wow, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like imagine all of civilization is cradled in the lap of this one woman. Like that's so- I quite
0: literally imagined a woman, like her arms, like she's cradling a baby and then just like a city. Like sitting on yeah, top of it. That's what that's, I imagine. That's like the
1: vibe. I love it. See, it is like and a book cover. I I know I know. I feel like that could be like a Rick
0: Reardon book. It reminds thing. me of like yeah. I was gonna say it reminds me of like City of Glass for some reason. I know you oh, love those yeah. books. I <laughs> think it's because the cover of that book has like a city on it. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> No, but
1: yeah, I, I, I get that. So Ayurveda sees the human body as both male and female energy moving in parallel to each other, where the right part of our body is male-dominated and the left part of our body is female-dominated.
0: Oh, the left is female-dominated. Interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. And actually, because the left is female-dominated, the left brain is female-dominated. And that's why most people are left or the idea is that most women are like left brain dominant, which is interesting
0: because the left brain does everything. I know. <laughs> I think it's
1: a little bit of a stretch because most people are left brain dominant because most people are.
0: Yeah. Like most people are right handed,
1: meaning that they're left dominant. Right. And then like language is probably on the left. I don't know. I, I It was a nice sentiment, but. Maybe not here accurate. For, you know. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. Um, and of course, we know that a lot of bodily processes are mediated by hormones, but Ayurveda obviously doesn't call them that. They're actually called Datu Agni, which translates to fire element in tissue. Ooh. And they're carried through the blood or pitta. And so... If you remember, pitta is one of the doshas that we were talking about earlier that's mediated through like GI and diet type things. But these mm-hmm. are different things. Blood as pitta is like lowercase p. Pitta as like a dosha is like uppercase p, but they're still similar because, okay, because the dosha that's pitta is like a little bit more. It's relating to like being fiery and having energy and that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. how do you get energy? You eat food. So that's why it's related to your GI and diet and stuff like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So if a pitta dominant woman were to eat a lot of hot and spicy and acidic foods while doing activities that also activate her internal pitta energy, like being in the sun, or getting angry, she will aggravate the pitta in her blood and potentially cause excessive bleeding during her period. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit of a stretch. But I do think the consistency, I appreciate that, you know, if you're pitta dominant and you do things to aggravate that, then it's going to fall out of balance and then you're going to, bleed excessively.
0: Interesting. So don't yeah. eat too much.
1: Don't eat too much hot, spicy, acidic food and do things like hang out in the sun or get angry because then your blood will get like hot right. and you'll like activate that heat energy.
0: Huh? I mean, I see the connection for sure.
1: So we talked about an example of pitha, and when you're a pitha dominant woman and you fall out of balance, you could have an issue with, Excessive bleeding, for example, during your period. Similarly, as a woman ages, it's said that she kind of decreases her pitta energy and increases her vata energy. So imagine a woman in her 40s or something, 40s, 50s. She's taking on more vata energy, which is, as a reminder, more mobile, more dynamic, and less hot and fiery. And imagine she's not sleeping well. She's working super late into the night. She's eating a lot of cold foods like salads and not eating any sweets, salt or fats. This
0: apparently- That's a sad
1: life. I know, I know. Well, this, that makes sense. If she sounds sad, this would make her menopause symptoms more difficult. What, why? I don't know. Because she's like leaning into the Vata imbalance.
0: Oh, okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. Like it's she's going, not good. Yeah. Imbalance is bad. And like in her middle age, she's like becoming more like Vata dominant, but she's also doing things to trigger like an imbalance. And as a result, the consequence is that her like menopause symptoms are more difficult.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So don't eat too many salads basically when you, are I think menopause. it's the like
1: eating your it's cold foods, not sleeping well. Yeah. Like not taking care of yourself.
0: Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And Which so I we've could covered- see how that would cause menopause issues in general. I know. Right. Like not, like- not taking care of yourself and not sleeping. Yeah, and things exactly. Like that. that makes total sense. Um, And so now we've
1: covered a Pitta example and a Vata example, so we'll do the last one, which is a Kapha example. And in a Kapha dominant woman, if she excessively indulges in sweets, rich foods, eats lots of dairy and nuts, and lives a sedentary lifestyle during perimenopause, she'll supposedly start accumulating a lot of mucus in her blood and body, which can lead to tumors or depression. Oh no! I know yeah the tumors part I don't know but the everything else about that I'm like yeah I could see how that could potentially exacerbate depressive symptoms yeah yeah like not eating well living a sedentary lifestyle not being active like of course that's going to start taking a toll on your body and your mental health but the tumor thing I I can't explain Yeah. I
0: don't know how that would arise. Yeah. I don't know what to say,
1: but those are just three examples of ways that when your body's out of balance and if you, and if you are a biological female, maybe your hormones will change based off of your life and like your energies are off balance. And that's kind of the idea in Ayurvedic medicine is that we're off balance. And so we need to like find balance of our
0: energies. For sure. Does it ever like do the energies of a woman ever play into like the hormonal changes of a woman? I think it's
1: more so that the energies align with hormonal changes. So for example, like when you're younger, you have more like Pitta energy, even if you are like, for example, like Vata dominant or something, you might have like more baseline Pitta energy, but then as you age and like Go through menopause and perimenopause. Okay. You become more about the, yeah. Yeah.
0: Makes sense. So I think they're like, they're tied together. They're incorporated into each other. Yeah. Exactly. They're not like affected by one or the other. They are. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And a lot of Indian women practice Ayurvedic medicine to some extent. But something I actually wanted to talk about really briefly is the impact of colonization on Ayurveda and the history of that. So we know that India was colonized by Britain. Can you guess Mm -hmm. how the British felt about traditional medical practices? Probably bad. Actually, it was not too bad. So (laughs) good surprise. Well, it was early on. So early on, British attitudes towards traditional Indian medical practices were pretty tolerant and actually really appreciative in a lot of ways. But by the late 19th century, people who practiced Western medicine started moving to India. And then they saw indigenous medicine as inferior and started actively working against it.
0: My God, that reminds me of so many other things where medical doctors were like, we want to be the bestest. So we're going to hate on everyone else who's been practicing medicine for years and years already. Hundreds of years. Same. It's the same
1: energy. It's like, oh, let me come in because I know how to do it better.
0: Mm-hmm. Instead of being like, oh, we know how to do it differently. Let's work together. I know. Yeah. And with the
1: British no longer supporting traditional medicine, a lot of Ayurvedic practitioners started losing business and support in their ability to practice their, their work. And a really yeah. important group played into making this happen. Can you guess which group? It's not like a group like a organization or anything it's like a certain
0: group of people like in the medical field was kind like of? a royal family or something no it
1: wasn't <laughs> it you'll be like oh my god totally makes sense was it, but you're
0: was it I, the I catholic get, church oh i know oh okay england's gosh. not under the catholic church so like the church of england or whatever it's called
1: no so it wasn't religion it was actually <laughs> White Western medical women missionaries. <laughs> oh no. I know. And like white doctors.
0: Yeah, I'm India.
1: And then they, do you have any issue or any guesses of what they were trying to do
0: when they came to India? Were they trying to teach them their own medical ways? Like, were yeah, they, like medical they were trying to trips? save them. <laughs> oh, no.
1: I know. Medical
0: That's- mission trips aren't meant to go and do your own medicine. It's meant to work with communities. I know. I know. I
1: know. But no. So they, these white missionaries wanted to save Indian women from being unhygienic and give them, quote, opportunities they couldn't find from others in their home country so that's just kind of a small history it's just part of what has led ayurveda and the practice of it to be where it is today is that it's it's changed a lot but because there's all this like rich text and people's interpretations of it from the past it has stayed true in some ways but yeah the Impact of colonization is a very real one to consider, and it was a big issue as a for the practice itself and for women in particular, because in the past, Ayurvedic medicine was mostly practiced by men. This is because the training was technically closed to women practitioners because it was all in Sanskrit and women weren't taught Sanskrit.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No reading mm-hmm. for women.
1: No, 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 definitely not. No. And not Why What a woman <laughs> need to read? I don't know. But something that was often overlooked that we honestly talk about a lot is informal indigenous medical practices that women were basically doing every day at home. They were making herbal remedies for their families. They were caring for the sick. They were helping birth babies. And more. And so I have some Ayurvedic treatments and then how they apply to women. I thought I'd share them a little bit. Oh, so yes. there are five or there are different methods of therapy that Ayurveda employs called the Pancha Karma. And these five karmas are used to remove toxins from the body. And they are as follows one, purging through use of powders or pastes two forced therapeutic emesis via medications three use of enemas prepared from medicated oils four blood detoxifying i have no idea how they did that five administering medicine through the nose Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how they managed to do all these things. But for women, a lot of the treatments involved keeping mostly like bleeding and hormones in check. For example, there are a lot of pitta calming herbs like this special species of asparagus that when eaten, can keep bleeding in check, to balance hormones by activating prolactin. You want to explain what prolactin is? Prolactin is a, it's a hormone released like from your pituitary gland in your brain, basically, that helps with the release of milk, but it's not the production of milk. Just kidding. It's the production of milk. It's production of milk once the baby's born. Yes. Yeah. But otherwise yeah. it's like inhibited. Before. It's off. Yeah. Yeah i don't mean yeah no so it's the production of milk is mediated by prolactin and then oxytocin is responsible for the release of that milk so anyway it like can help balance your hormones by activating prolactin uh it can nourish the uterus it can regulate calcium metabolism to prevent hot lashes and osteoporosis so this wonder drug, this wonder asparagus is- it does everything. It does a lot. It does a lot. And um, another example that I had is Indian ginseng helps to balance out low estrogen levels and maintain a fatty cushion on the reproductive organs like the vagina to help with menopause symptoms and sleep.
0: I was like, oh, that's Dang. nice. That works. Super nice. Yeah.
1: So, these are just a couple of examples. and I just thought they were fun to talk about women's health and Ayurveda and how they balance each other out and come together. Uh, but I think what's interesting is, and maybe I just am not aware, but from my research, that was kind of the extent of what I learned about when it comes to Ayurvedic medicine and women. I think there's a lot more to the practitioners, and there's some nuances there, but in mm-hmm. terms of the practice of Ayurveda itself. I think it's rooted in the fact that women are unique and this is already such a personalized form of medicine Mm -hmm. that we just have to consider that as part of our treatments. And so overall, when we're thinking about alternative ways of practicing medicine, Ayurveda is an indigenous system that in practice today has been adapted to modern needs. It comes Mm -hmm. up in, honestly, a lot of small ways, like in our lives, like establishing a mind-body connection, drinking turmeric milk lattes, practicing mindfulness and yoga. All these things are small ways that Ayurvedic medicine has become integrated into our lives. And for women, Ayurvedic practices and treatments are an extension of what I was saying before, that personally tailored aspect That Ayurveda is so keen on. And just as women are all unique, so too are the ways that they are treated and cared for. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really beautiful and like very telling um, of this kind of medicine and like what it values. Mm -hmm. And so, Yeah. yeah, I thought it would be a fun place to stop and have a little bit of discussion. All right, I'm ready. Yay. Okay. And we're back. We are. Charlotte, tell me your thoughts. What are you thinking?
0: What's going on in that brain of yours? Um, well, that was a lot of new things I learned. Um, Me too. My notes are horrendous because I was just scribbling down so much information. <laughs> it's okay. There's so much, but it's great. It was super interesting. I really liked it. Um, one thing I really liked about it is that the medicine like came from mythology. You know, like a lot mm-hmm. of the, a lot of the various medicines we've talked about so far, it seems like they don't come from like a god. Or from, like, a myth. It seems like there are, like, gods or myths that support it, but it wasn't, like, thought of from. So I kind of liked that. Like, how it's, like, really integrated into Hinduism.
1: Yeah, I think that's really cool, too. That's why I mentioned the history, because I was like, wow, it's fun that, like, a god created this. Yeah, Um, it's... And, like, that's lasted so long, too. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting, because I if you're a skeptic, like if you're, if you don't believe in gods, but you practice Ayurveda, I wonder where you think this came from, you know?
0: Yeah. Like who thought of it in yeah. the beginning? Yeah, exactly. the question. Or is it just like a, is it a mystery? It's like who created Rome? No one knows because it's based in mythology. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, like Stories are not are not quite there. So I like yeah. that. Um, I also liked how it felt like yes, this could definitely be a thing. Like how the principles of it and branches, like the branch, like I mentioned, were basically the rotations we end up doing, the way that it's practiced. I can see in Western medicine, which you even said like it's integrated into Western medicine. So that might be why too, because it's already like intertwined. Yeah,
1: I have no idea where those branches came from. I was also shocked that they were so similar to
0: actual branches of medicine that exist now. Yeah, like, because, you know, when we're talking about, like, Roman medicine, they're all, like, all hyped up about the spleen. And we're like, okay, (laughs) like, the spleen
1: (laughs) is everything.
0: And we're like, who cares about the spleen? But this, like, makes so much sense. I'm reading it, and I'm like, yep, like, those are all branches that are super important to think about. I know. Um, so easy. Yeah.
1: well yeah so which my next question is uh which dosha do you think you would be dominant in okay so after
0: my intensive research on the topic <laughs> i think i would be dominant in kapha yeah i think you'd be kapha <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> i was like calm <laughs> grounded yeah that's you can i which one one do you one do you you think you would be yeah
0: the Pitta one? Yeah, Pitta. I'm totally that hot-headed, fiery, angry. I'm like, I'm like reading this article. It's literally on Healthline, but I'm like reading this article. It's going over them and I'm reading it. I'm like, wow, this is Alicia. It says people with Pitta are usually a muscular build. They're athletic. They're strong leaders. They're highly motivated and goal-oriented and competitive, but they're aggressive and Teenious nature can be off putting to some <laughs> people and lead to conflict.
1: Wait, yeah, that's so upsetting. That's totally Isn't that me. hilarious. I was like, oh my God, it's literally Alicia. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, their angry nature can make them conflict. Oh, uh, you know, it happens. I've gotten in a scrap here and there, but <laughs> I've come out on top. Look at me because you're the strong one because <laughs> <laughs> I'm the strong one because uh, they look at me and they're like "Ooh, she's pitha dominant and we got a <laughs> we're all step out of the way
0: and I'm like Literally. yeah you better take and a walk the, <laughs> and the description for mine is um, strong thick bone caring known for keeping things together and being a support system for others rarely gets upset thinks before acting goes through life in a slow deliberate manner <laughs> Dude, that's actually you! Oh that's- my god, their weaknesses are breathing issues. <laughs> <laughs> All makes sense. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh my god, there, this has to be real. I'm telling you, I <laughs> I'm converting to <laughs> this <is> medicine. <laughs> Wait, that's actually so
1: funny. We should make this like the new Myers Briggs personality test. But it's I was like
0: literally. I'm going to post a poll on our Instagram, figure out what people are.
1: <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. Fun, fun, very fun. But okay, my next question for you. So we've talked in the past about other homeopathic medical practices. Mm. How does Ayurveda in your eyes differ from those practices,
0: and how is it similar? Um, I think it's super similar in the terms of like balance. I feel like we talk about balance a lot. Like we talked about the four humors in Roman and Greek medicine. When we talked about acupuncture in traditional Chinese medicine, it was like um, finding the balance in like the pathways in your body so they're not all like tight and coiled up. Um, Yeah, Yeah, there's just like a lot of talk about like finding the right balance in your body of whatever elements like that practice of medicine is talking about. But it's always like some type of elements and it's always if you have more, then another, then like that dominant element is going to cause you to have like these symptoms and these personalities too. it always comes down to personality, which I find surprising because in Western medicine, we don't really talk about like personality in connection with illnesses. It's like very symptomatic, yeah. not like, oh, they're this type of person. So yeah, I, f- I see that similarity very closely. Uh, so I was thinking about the whole time. It's kind of cool. I like seeing how ideas are the same across cultures, but Mm -hmm. in different ways. It, It shows how like cultures communicated in the past. Yeah. And then I also liked for Ayurveda that it was like super personal. Yeah. You were really looking at each person. I think you were talking about at the end how like it was really special how they're looking at women in this light of like, okay, they're different. And this is how their different doshas like affect them throughout their life. Yeah. And like, this is how we're going to treat them based on that right now. And it was like very wholesome in a way. It was like, okay, yeah, this is like how the person is. And we're going to treat them for how they are, not in comparison to someone else, Um, which I like because comparing patients does no benefit to their patients. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I agree. No, I literally wrote down the same exact thing. I just said balance is important. And I think that's a through line across many cultures, across many practices is to find the balance of energies, to find just the to find like the smooth like path on which to follow I like that and I think that's true in Ayurvedic medicine too is it's like you want to find the right combination of your doshas that like are a balance for you but Mm -hmm. again like you're saying it's super personalized and so that was that's very cool and I think not something that I've seen super often yeah but yeah And so how does Ayurvedic medicine and the ways it was used to understand women differ from maybe American or Western medicine and how we understand the biologically female body?
0: Um, One thing I noticed is that it wasn't like viewing women as inferior Mm -hmm. which is very different than other theories that are like women have these differences. And because of that, they're like inferior and they're lesser than, and like they're broken. And that's why they have these things. Like it doesn't seem like that was the view at all. It just seems like, like, this is how women's physiology works and that's just how it's going to be. And we're going to treat them for, for that reason, but it doesn't make them like lesser of a person. It's just extremely different than other thoughts. Yeah, I think that's really true. And I also
1: think that there's less of a focus on the literal organs mm-hmm. present in a woman. I mean, there is a focus on it. They did talk about the uterus and they talked about things like that, but it was less so organ based and more so like feelings and like spirituality based.
0: Mm-hmm. And I,
1: often think that Western medicine is trying to move into that more, like they're trying to incorporate more of like the patient perspective and like, how's the patient feel about their illness? And did you inquire what, what the patient is worried about, et cetera, et cetera. But I think where a lot of Eastern medical practices have already, what they've already done well is that they've built their practice on that question of like, where is the patient? And like, what do they need?
0: And Mm -hmm. how can
1: we heal their mind and spirit so that their body can follow? And we can also heal their body along the way. Like we don't just leave them to the dust. We can give them remedies and do surgeries and do these things. But also we want to heal the person as a whole. And I think that's something that we're moving towards in Western medicine, but it's like a slow march.
0: Yeah. It's like the idea that mindset's like everything when you're. Going into treatment, like if you're gonna have a terrible mindset, then your your body's gonna react badly because like it's just gonna throw everything off. So I think I do think it's being talked about a lot more. Yeah, I agree. It's been interesting, enlightening. Yeah, I like seeing um, a new cultural view and that it was so different than a lot of like ancient theories we've talked about. Yeah, I know. Like and that is still so relevant too. Like. The fact that this form of medicine has been around for so long and it, I don't know how much has changed throughout the like millennia, but it's still practiced today. So a lot of the ancient theories we talk about are not practiced today still because Western medicine has like overcome those theories. Um, Yeah, but now it's special that it is still around and integrating into Western medicine, but not being taken over, hopefully.
1: Yeah. I do think it's interesting how Western medicine or even like Western culture, like picks and chooses what they want to take. Mm-hmm. Yoga is such a fad now. Turmeric lattes are like a thing now. That's so interesting. I know. Well,
0: you even mention mentioned gin, ginseng in standardized patients. Always their alternative medication is ginseng every time. That's <laughs> so funny.
1: Yeah, no, know. A lot of people take ginseng. I'm like, okay. It, it's- and I get that there's like benefits to it. I think the trouble is that when we take supplements, they're not regulated by anyone, and so unless you know exactly where they're coming from, that's the trouble. Yeah, but interact with your meds too right exactly. but you we've talked about and we always like we love how plant based and just like the earth is healing, and like original medicines were not made in factories, but made by hand. And that also ties back to what I was saying about women as healers, like at home and the fact Mm -hmm. that they couldn't officially practice Ayurvedic medicine, but they were basically practicing Ayurvedic medicine, just not under that name by like using their own knowledge to heal. Which is beautiful.
0: I know. I agree. But yeah. Thanks for joining us on this ride. (laughs)
1: Yes, it was so fun. If you liked it and you want to hear more, you should subscribe to the podcast. We're available on all the podcasting apps. And if you really, really loved us, you should leave a rating and review. And Apple
0: Podcasts is the best place to do that. Yeah. And then you can also follow us on our social media. We are at From Skirt Scrubs on Instagram and on Facebook and FSTS underscore podcasts on Twitter. So check us out on all of those platforms. And then you can also go to our website, which is from skirtsofscrubs.com for more information on Alicia and I and our episodes. You can find our show notes and our sources, and you can also find the link to our merch there.
1: Yes, and as our podcast grows, we're interested in doing more collaborations and making bonus content for you. So if you or someone you know is interested in working with us, you can shoot us an email, send us a DM on Twitter, Instagram,
0: whatever you want. Yeah. And then so here, lastly, is to the women who fought for us to be where we are today. And may we do the same for those who come after us. Yay. Yay. See everyone next time. Thanks for joining. Bye.